You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And, you know, uh, I'm recording this in October. September was National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And I was a guest on lots of shows and talked about my experience on this show often. So, you know, if you're struggling with suicidal ideation, you really feel like ending it all, you're not alone. I, I, there's help out there. There's help right here. I hope by my sharing my experiences, you, you realize that you're not alone. And more important than that, whatever you're going through, there is hope. There is help. You can overcome it. And I know that's true because I've done it. Um, I'm no different than you. So whatever uh, troubles you might be going through, whatever troubles a friend or loved one might be going through, you can get through it. There, there's, there's love. There's hope. There's faith. There's everything you want on the other side of that horrible feeling in your way. But if you're battling suicidal thoughts right now in this moment, uh, call 1-800-273-TALK and get some support, right? We'll, uh, we'll be here later. But uh, one of the strongest things I believe is that a key way to prevent suicide is to talk more about suicide, which brings me to my guest today. She loves to talk about suicide. We met because we were talking about suicide. <laughs> so my guest today is a pediatrician, author, speaker, suicide prevention activist, and podcaster, Dr. Lulu. Hey. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for that intro. And you're right. You're right. It is, it is the, the only way I know how to combat it is to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that ever hurt anybody. No. Yeah. And, and, but that's like, even that this was a myth when I was growing up that you don't talk about it because that, that, that word will make people do it. And like, is that your experience at all talking to people or living your life? No, no. As a matter of fact, well, you know, I still have people that look at me twice. Like what you talk about? So like what? Then yeah, I start you're, telling you're not supposed it. to. Yeah. Then they, yeah. they calm down. But I think I like, I love anecdotes. So I don't know if this is one or not, but imagine you, Andy, you want to travel to Australia. What are you going to do? You're going to talk to everybody who's heard about Australia, who's been to Australia, who knows Australia, who is Australian, because you want to know about it. So same thing if you're sad and depressed, you cannot keep that to yourself. This is what, the one thing you want to talk about. And it actually makes you feel better, you know, because a problem shared, they say, is a problem halved. But more so, just the fact that you're, you know, just... Talking about it, it helps get another person's perspective. Oh, I didn't know. Or now you feel like you're not alone. They listen to you. And I try to caution people. When we say talk about it, just throwing the word talk about it out there. The person you talk to is important. If you talk to the wrong person, that may be worse than not talking at all. So I do say be very selective. I mean, the old days in the 70s when I was a child, we had A tracks, we had little records that you would take the needle and place on the track that you want to listen to. You have to be that deliberate and that intentional with the person you want to talk to about depression and or suicidal ideas. And I know, yes, talk to anyone, but more so talk to someone who knows what to say. Because right. if you get the person who says the wrong thing, like, you're just joking. You don't really mean it. What do you mean you're depressed? What do you mean you're suicidal? I can't believe you said that. Don't ever say that again. If you hear, if we speak to the wrong person, then we may not end up with, a, with a, the right outcome. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And so I would say, for all it's worth, if nothing else happens, 1-800-SUICIDE or the crisis text line, just text Stephen, text help, text anything. If you text anything to the crisis text line, they're going to text you back because it's like calling 911, right? I don't care how much you hang up they're going to call you back because you never know. So just text any word you like to the crisis text line. The number is 741741. Text anything you like to that number and you will get someone who's going to text you back, who's there, who knows what to say and who has the time to say it. Because imagine if I call Andy and you're about to rush out to your son's game. Yes, you're going to pick up the phone, but that may not be the right time for you. You may not be able to, to handle my call. But these people are trained to handle your texts and your calls 24-7. 
I know because I signed up. <laughs> I'm one of the people that you're going to be texting. So please text us, call us. We'll be there and we'll know what to say. Awesome. Yeah. And that, that's a great point to make that it does matter because, you know, I have videos where I, and been on podcasts talking about the, um, how I tried to kill myself. Um, that's not the first way I shared it to the world, right? That was with a lot of work and growth and preparation. So yeah, it, it isn't just blurted out to the world. You want to share it with someone that, that can take it because often they don't need to do anything. Just they just need to listen and perhaps not, not react. They, they, they don't need to fix you. The idea of, for, from my perspective, the idea of talking about how, how bad you might feel is to give yourself some relief and to realize you can tell someone and they, they're still there for you. Yes. Right? They still love you. There's not judgment. They, they don't exactly. turn it right away. Yeah. So, Andy, you're not alone. I myself was depressed and I was suicidal. So I know where, where you're coming from. The ultimate route to suicide is generally depression, hopelessness, helplessness, and despair. Those four go together. But I, didn't, I don't have mental illness, and I'm very quick to say this. We do not necessarily have to have mental illness to be suicidal. As a matter of fact, 58% of people who die by suicide do not have mental illness. Now, the common pathway on that, the last few days or weeks or moments that lead to that generally are a severe case of depression or what another blogger said is an extreme case of human burnout. Mm. So the truth is it can be depression ultimately. But don't dog yourself, well, I don't have mental illness. I may not really be depressed. This may not really be suicidal ideations. It might be. In my case, I got divorced. I suddenly became a single mom of three boys. I sold my practice, sold my beautiful home that I designed and built myself, moved state, joined the Air Force, filed bankruptcy. It was a lot. It was a lot for me. Yeah. And for me, that did it for me. That All those things stacked really, really nicely. And I just, I couldn't take it. So just know that what's, tips me over may not be what's going to tip you over, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It does not really matter because everyone has their own different tolerance levels. The point is the two most important words are reach out or get help or say something. Those three, you can go with those, those phrases, I guess, right? Yeah. Reach out to someone, get help and do say something. Just, it doesn't matter what you just say it. Um, a friend of mine was a guest on my podcast and she said, it is easier to say yes than I need help. Whereas that is true, like if I ask you, Andy, are you feeling down? Are you feeling out? You know, all of that. But it takes me to see that in you mm. to ask you, right? Gotcha. That's one. If we make it a universal screening, great. But if it's not a universal screening and I can't read you very well, I may never ask you. However, the beauty of you reaching out is you're going to tell me specifically what's going on with you. And then I can help you specifically. Because like, like I said, not everybody has the same pathway. Now, the ultimate route is the same, but the way to get there is so different. Yeah. And so being able to voice out your troubles and your worries and your woes, for me, is critical. Yeah, it, it, it's a destination that... Nobody really wants to reach, but there are too many roads that can get you there. You know? yes. <laughs> yeah, cool. And I, I love how you, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard, I don't think I've heard anyone say that there's a difference between mental illness and, and feeling suicidal. I've always just, they're, they're one and the same. Um, so I, again, I really appreciate that clarification too, because I think that helps it. Because there, there is a, st there's a stigma against everything, it seems. <laughs> And, this, and the, stigma, <clears throat> the stigma against mental health is so bad that in 2016, the WHO declared the stigma of mental health as a public global health crisis. Hmm. The stigma. And so I want people to know that you don't, and that's why when I went, when I came out of the closet with my own, you know, history of suicidal behavior and suicidal ideation, I felt this huge load lifted off of me. But many of my friends also came to say, wow, I applaud you, I thank you, and all that fruitful stuff. But indeed, I was able to touch them because I came out with mine. And, you know, Oprah, Michelle Williams, many people have also come out with their own 
Prince Harry, all of those people have come out with this. But you do need to come out and sing out loud on the loudest platform so people will know that you are not alone. It is okay to not be okay. The problem is trying to stay that way is not okay. Right. But it's right. completely okay to not be okay. So yes, majority of people who end up... Now, if you've had mental illness, Andy, then in your case, you don't know the difference. That is true. I don't have a history of mental illness. However, to get to, to the decision to suicide, where suicide is a noun, to get to the decision to suicide is a confounding, confounding factors. And ultimately, it is a case whereby all of those confounding factors outweigh your coping skills, mm. period. That's it. Mm. And then this other blogger said he felt like he was on fire, like his whole body was engulfed in a flame, and he wanted to put it out. And the way to put it out was to end his life. Right. He had attempted suicide and he survived. And so I want people to have, to come from a place of compassion. Don't think, because I had a, a, a teacher at my son's high school. She was like, oh, they're so selfish. And I, and I let her finish. And I said, you know what? They're not selfish at all. And I want you to understand that someone who decides to kill themselves, to kill themselves, or who does eventually do it or, or is successful at it, however you want to phrase it, the truth is they felt most of the time that the world is better off without them in it. They're trying to spare you the burden called them. That's actually what the case is. So it's not like, oh, you know, because you don't love them enough. No, if love was enough, there'll be no suicide at all. So it's not so much in me not loving you enough, Andy. It's almost, I wouldn't say you not loving yourself, but you just necessarily getting to a point where you are emotionally spent and emotionally you are, you've exhausted all your options that you thought were other ways out of this situation. And I want people to understand that this is why someone says, you know what? I cannot take that bullying in school anymore. I can't take the bullying at work anymore. I just can't take it. And therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and and if, like everyone has the point. They can't take it anymore. It, but everyone doesn't reach to, to the level of, of suicide. But you might quit a job or leave a relationship or just, you know, uh, uh, get, get drunk, run away, whatever it is. But it's, it's when, and it's temporary. It's when that temporary impulse of pain it just overwhelms everything else and you can't cope in that moment and and too much of you forgets that it's temporary yes and it's often been said you know suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary to a problem. temporary problem yes yeah. i was gonna say that too it is a permanent yeah. it is the ultimate permanent solution I and mean, like there's no going back yeah. there's nothing you can do once it's right. done but it's um, but it's also it's not a solution it's, it's just a permanent a solution, yes. it's, it's a permanent escape like it's you know, when, when I was a kid, I really, I, I wasn't raised with religion. I really just wanted my life to end. I just wanted to stop. I didn't want anything, but I've had enough spiritual awakening and weird experiences that, no, I know there's something else. And, you know, if, if we uh, end our life by our own hands prematurely, whatever we're trying to avoid, I, I just, it, it doesn't stop that way. It just, you know, there's more to work on later and some other aspect yeah. of yourself. But I love what you said, because I wrote it down. So you, you say suicide is a permanent, what did you say? It's a permanent escape. Escape. As a, it's not I a solution. Say, exactly. I say suicide is a permanent outlet. Mm. So however you see escape outlet, it's a way out of something that if only, if only you would give your family, your friends, the doctors, the therapists, the counselors, the whole, the universe a chance, mm. you might even rethink it. Yeah. And that's why when you're feeling down at that moment, I say, get out of that place right now. Like get out of it, both emotionally and physically. Remove your, your, place, your body from that place. It is important because a lot of people, this, gen, this lady who was a guest on my podcast, which by the way is called Suicide Pages, but she, her grandfather, he had been depressed for a long time and actually he's been in the suicide spectrum. And then you know how once they make up their mind, they feel better because like the decision has been made. He asked his wife to go on a trip with her girls, go on a girl's trip. Don't worry, I'll be just fine. 
because he, he didn't want her to be in the house when he did it. And so I want to caution people, if you have someone, as you and I know, the highest risk factor for suicide is a prior attempt. That is the single most important determinant for a completed suicide, is a prior attempt. So if you know anyone who is on a suicide watch, so to say, I don't care what they tell you, how they try to convince you that they're fine now, never get past that fact that they are at high risk. Because the day they tell you, don't worry, just go up, you're just fine. They might be trying to get you out of the house. Yeah. And so I'm telling you who is suicidal at this moment, even if you do succeed in getting them out of the house, you need to get out of the house. Sometimes just getting out of the environment already gets your head out of that mindset because there are lies that your body is telling you. There are lies that your brain is telling you. It is a lie. The world needs you. We all need you. You're a beautiful soul. You're beautiful. You're holy and wonderfully made. You're meant for greatness. But we can't get to the greatness if you're not here. So we need you to be here. And worst case scenario, grab a book and start writing. Write five things, three things. Write one thing, one reason why you should be here. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just might find an outlet. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Can't agree more. Done all those things. Been all those places. Yeah, so you, 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 your podcast is called Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. So yes. was, it, was it your own experiences with suicidal thoughts that, that prompted the creation of that? Or was it something else? No, actually, in the year 2000, I had my very first contact with suicide on a personal note. It was a, a friend of mine, a colleague, a doctor. She was a surgical resident. We did an um, internship together back home in Nigeria. Then we both came here. And I knew we, we, we kind of stayed in touch and she had been trying to get into residency for a long time. I, I just kind of locked out. I came in, I got residency right away. I finished my residency. I started my practice. I was on my second child. I was seven months pregnant with my second son. And then she was a surgical resident. And then I knew she had had a boyfriend that they were having some issues. She wasn't getting any, she wasn't getting any, younger, any younger. She was older than me. I remember that. And she was trying to you know, have him, you know, kind of get married and settle down already. And I guess it just wasn't working out. And I don't know ultimately what led her to do it, but I just had been thinking about calling her and thinking about calling her. And I finally picked up the phone and called her that day. And her niece told me, oh, and -and so-and-so blew her brains out two weeks ago or something like that. And I was like, what? Then her, her mom heard her and took the phone and told me, you know, She's so sorry. Her, her daughter doesn't know, you know, they're also going through it and they don't even know how to say it. And she's 16. I should forgive her. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's fine. I'm so sorry. I wish I had called. And um, so that was my first contact. And actually that put me in labor. I went into labor with my son and he was born two months early because of the news that I got. And I just had never known anybody who had ever killed themselves. That never, ever. I didn't even hear about suicide per se. But she was a doctor. She was a female. She was Nigerian. She was a resident. Four things that are very high risk for suicide right now, you know? And then fast forward 2008, I had my then 15-year-old patient come to see me with his mother. And um, she was concerned that he was no longer, he didn't want to play football anymore. He was a quarterback. He didn't like um, to play football anymore. He was just not being himself anymore. She thought he was using drugs. She wanted me to check him for that. And so after having a chit-chat with him, I was like, you know what? He's actually severely depressed, you know, and he didn't say something about being suicidal. I don't remember that. I don't know if I blocked it out or not, but I don't remember him saying he was suicidal on the, on the questionnaire. It's called a PHQ-9. And he, I don't remember, but I did tell his mom that I think he needs to be on medication right away, counseling right away and all of that. And she was like, oh, just depression? Oh, honey, I had depression. I did okay. He's going to be fine. My mother was fine. My sister was fine. Everybody's fine. But he wasn't fine. And so that was in March. And in 4th of July that year, in front of the family doing their barbecue, he put a double barrel shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. So that was my first patient contact. Mm-hmm. And as luck will have it, between him and 2018, which is last year, 10 years, I had uncountable patients presenting with anxiety and depression and cutting. And I started noticing a pattern. I was like, wait, is this me or is this? So I asked my colleague at work and he was like, 
no, I only see like two or three depressed patients a, a month. And I was like, wait, how come I see two or three a day? Yeah. And then my nurse was like, no, it's more like four or five. I'm like, what? So I started feeling that maybe, you know, the universe is sending these kids to me for a reason. And I didn't act on it. I didn't act on it. But last year, I had a seven-year-old patient of mine who had ADHD hang himself. He didn't die, but that was my wake up. I was like, no, uh, no. So I went home and I was just deflated and I told the family, told the kids and my, and my then 12-year-old son was like, but mom, what are you going to do about it? I was like, I don't know. I just, dude, I don't even know. And then he was like, well, you know, you could come to my school and talk to the kids. I was like, bingo. So I said, okay, I'm going to start going to schools to speak about it. And then I asked my then, you know, employers, I was like, I would like to take a day off from work and try to go start speaking at schools and see, you know, and after three weeks of deliberation, they were like, no, we can't give you a day off. We need you full time. I was like, no, you don't do this. <laughs> so I put in my, my, um, my notice and I, and I left and I haven't looked back since then. Wow. Hmm. So it sounds like in, know, your, right? <laughs> in, your, in your own practice, you've seen a rise in anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, but talking to other doctors, so the overall medical field isn't seeing a rise. Is that no, right? No, no, no. Overall medical field is. My, uh, oh. my partner in that group wasn't. And I'm thinking because I was there. So they were all coming to uh, me, like the energy. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. All my, all my doctor friends on the outside world, pretty much... Everybody I speak to, even the, the novices, and I say that in the sense that they're not doctors, they're just regular people. Just Yesterday I went to an elementary school for a wellness program because yesterday was National Mental Health Day. And the lady who was like a gym instructor, she was like, oh yeah, that's a problem right now. She doesn't have any kids. She doesn't have any, you know, she, she, she just knows. So it's becoming more prevalent. We are, we are seeing it more. Now, my own take on that is either because we have social media, so we're all able to connect faster and hear about these stories faster, but also we can bully each other faster mm. and better and more effectively because I can hide behind my screen and just type what I want to type, all kinds of hateful stuff. I don't have to look you in the face. And so the kids are doing the same thing. In my days when I was bullied, I was only bullied on the bus. So I had to worry about not getting on the bus. But believe it or not, eight out of 10 kids who text the suicide crisis text line mention school, school as a reason. Sure. Yeah. So it's coming from school. And unfortunately, because of the phone, where's my phone? I don't know where it is. The, 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 um, the bully is following them home. It's on their iPad. It's on their laptop. It's on their desktop. It's everywhere now, you know, it's on Snapchat. And by the time the child cries wolf, the snap is gone. Apparently they're called snaps or chats, whatever. The chat is gone from Snapchat because this thing's still only 24 hours, but not before everybody in your school has seen it already, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we are always a step behind as parents. And that's why my primary avatar are parents trying to and, and just kind of and encourage and empower them to know the signs, know what to look for, know what not to ignore know what never to discard, you know? So, and then uh, you, you have a pretty specific focus for your overall practice, right? Yes. My practice is only for at-risk youth, the same kids that I speak about. And initially it was eight to 18. And then a couple of, I want to say months ago, I had this cute little four-year-old, uh, I couldn't resist. His mom was like, he's going to be eight very soon. I'm like, huh? <laughs> but she, he, she and her son won my heart. And so I, I brought the numbers down to four years old. And then I went up to 21 because I have a lot of people who are so older who's like, well, he's going to be 21 next year or whatever. I said, okay, you know what? Bring him in. So I only see, and it's not a psychiatric clinic per se. And I'm not a therapist se. I'm a little bit of everything. I'm a mom. I'm a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I'm, I'm a friend. I'm the doctor that has time to spend with you and your patients. So I only see six patients a day at the most. And I spend an hour and a half with each patient. So I'm able to scratch deeper than the surface and get to, to what it's, it's, it is that's causing that kid to cut or whatever. Say, you know, feel 
like they hate themselves or all of the things like that go with that. And I've seen you call yourself a momatrician. So is that kind of it? You're, you're, the, you're the mom to all of your patients? Yes. As a matter of fact, I am a momatrician and a grand doctor because I have many of my patients. I've been doing this for 29 years. So I have many of my patients who have children who bring their kids to me. And I might even be a great grand. I don't know yet. <laughs> but yeah, 29 years is a long time. So imagine a child who was born then has a child. And if they started early enough, they might even have a grandchild. But yeah, so I'm a momatrician. And actually, if you Google the word momatrician, my picture comes out. I'm so excited. <laughs> That's my original word. And then um, a grand doctor. So yes. So yes, absolutely. Cool. Cool. And are, are the risk factors for suicide, are, there, are they greater in the African-American community for, for men and boys? Or is it the same around kind of the same risk factors for everybody in the United States? Or how's that breakdown? That is actually a great question. Oh my God, thank you for asking it. Absolutely not. And I've only come into this knowledge again in the last year since I quit my $200,000 pediatric job to speak about this. Um, African-Americans are very peculiar in in the universe. Not even Africans, but African-Americans specifically because of slavery. It's called generational trauma. It's called ACEs. ACEs is adverse childhood experiences. Generational trauma, years and years and years of injustice and hatred and bias and racism systematically on the same group of people. There's a word in medicine called epigenetics. Epigenetics is basically defined as the ability to transfer in your DNA suffering, trauma, pain through your DNA. You know, you think, you know, your mother gave birth to you and you're going to get her blue eyes and her gray skin or whatever, but you can also get her pain. And so when a child's mother has been traumatized with that, you know, domestic abuse or, I don't know, she was molested or whatever pain that she's carrying on her shoulders, she can actually give to her child. And then, mind you, that child was whole, right? But because the child's mother is broken, the child's mother also is a broken mother functionally. So that child doesn't get a full mom. Does that make sense? Yeah. She doesn't get a full mom because he or she has a mom who is broken and she has a mom who was broken before her. And so generations of all of that coming down to this one child. So no wonder there was a study in the Washington Post in 2016 that found that African-American boys, uh, well, African-American children across the board, not just boys, um, have two times the, what's the word, are twice as likely to die by suicide than their Caucasian counterparts, Mm. twice as likely. That has two things coming out of there. So that's African-American children across the board. The African-American male specifically has been made to believe over the years that they don't feel pain. And that's why I love the name of your podcast, that they don't feel pain, that they are Mandingo warriors and Spartan boys. And, you know, you're just strong and you can't cry. And, you know, we talked about it on, during our, our, my interview, my, during your interview, whatever the word is, when you were on my podcast, we talked about the fact that it is okay and healthy for everyone to experience all ranges of emotions. Mm-hmm not just pain for this group of people and joy for that group of people, you know? So, yeah. So the African-American male has been singled out as this man that cannot feel pain and cannot suffer and cannot cry. And, you know, it's funny how when he was two years old and he hurt his toe, he cried and he gave him love. And then he was 12 years old and he cries and you're like, you shouldn't cry. What, What is that? What does that mean? You know? So the child grows up thinking, I shouldn't cry. Where, where does that emotion go? It's held in. And what happens when you hold on your, in, onto your emotions and not let them out? Exactly. And then they wonder why he's an angry black man and an angry black woman. So society has not even allowed us to, to heal from our years and years of trauma. They haven't allowed us to, really. Let's, yeah. be, let's be honest. You hear about the word Holocaust, and you only think of one group of people. And who are those? Andy, 
the Jews. The Jews. Yeah. Well, do you know that 100 million Africans died in the waters on their way here? Mm. 100 million. And that's, we, that's a guesstimate. And then many, many more over, over slavery. And so the point I'm trying to make is no one talks about the Black Holocaust. So we're not even allowed to talk about it because like, oh, you, you need to get over it. You know, slavery is over. Right. Is it really over though? You know what I mean? Like, so it's, I know this is kind of bordering on political, but it is what it is in the sense that we have to face our fears to be able to overcome them. We have to talk about our pain, like we said, to be able to heal from them. But if you're not allowed to talk about it, then no wonder African-American males, and a big study has not been done on that, but they do die by suicide more than we know. We just don't have the numbers. Right. Yeah, I think suicide's going to be, you know, one of, if not the most underreported causes of death because exactly. no, nobody's, nobody wants that. Nobody's family's going, oh, make it a suicide, doctor. You know, please, you know, mortician, mark the suicide box. Like, no, they, people are looking for reasons not to do that. So, I know also, five doctors this year that have killed themselves, and none of them was marked as a suicide. They were all natural deaths. Huh. Yeah. So, so the shame, the stigma, it, it goes even after death then. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. To the family. And, and that's why I want to educate the family to talk about it. And so, you know, there's the national um, out of the darkness walk, which is coming, coming up next month. And I'm going to be there and I'm going to interview families again, because I want them to talk about their loved ones. And the fact that even though it's suicide that killed them and it was untimely, that's the only word I'm going to allow you to use untimely, but don't call it. It's not a shameful death. It's not anything on me, but you know where it came from though. It came from Christianity. In the days of Noah, when maybe not Noah, but way, way, way behind before, we were not allowed to bury people that died by suicide were not buried on the church grounds. Mm-hmm. Their family members were ostracized. And so that's where the shame came from. But otherwise, I mean, death is death. You know, it's already bad enough that I'm, I'm grieving the loss of my son. Then you put this big cloak over me because my son died or because of the way he died or she died. That's not fair, right? Right. And then... I mentioned doctors earlier on. I want to just say a thing or two about that. 400 doctors are documented to die every year by suicide. But as you and I just mentioned, those are underreported. So can you imagine that doctors actually have the highest rate of suicides of all occupations? Did you know that, Andy? No. No. Most people don't. So... You mentioned the angry black man, and like society will point at that, like, ah, that's the problem, this angry black man. But... They don't think about, well, society creates them. Yes. Yeah. By, by not allowing boys to feel, we create angry men, dysfunctional men, bitter men. And you know what? I don't, I don't know if this is true or not. Please, you know, if, if, it's, if it's wrong, then strike it. But two days ago on Facebook, I saw uh, someone tag me because they, they've tagged me where anything that happened to teenagers, they tag me. This 15 year old boy, my son is 15, was riding his bicycle without, with no, with no taillight or whatever. And the police man in a police trooper car, whatever, chased him down and pumped bullets in his head and in his heart because he said he was going for a gun. There was no gun in his, on his bike. There was no gun anywhere around the boy. But that's the boy that's died. And let's unpack that for a minute. I don't know this boy, but I have a 15-year-old son. Okay? Imagine his mother, how happy she would be. Imagine his uncles and all the men in his family, how joyful they would be. You know what I mean? Like, what is wrong with us with not calling a spade a spade already? Like saying, this is what we are doing. I don't know the kid, but I'm affected by it because my son is 15. More, you know, look at Travion Martin. Believe it or not, he's a part of my household. You know why? Every night when my son goes to walk the dog, every single night, I tell him, son, make sure you come back. And then finally one day he said, mom, why do you always ask me to come back? I said, because Trevion Martin never came back. He went around the corner to the store. So this is something that I can only, this is a walk that I can, only me can walk. You can never walk that walk, you know, Andy. I mean, not because, obviously you're a male, you don't have a, 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 you're not a woman, but I'm saying as a mother, because he's not only angry black man, he's also angry black woman. I'm just saying that the causes are so protein that you can't just see the effect and you're holding on to the effect, forgetting that every effect 
has a cause. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've, I've never thought of all the young blacks being shot, what, you know, see adults protests and the political movement around it. But yeah, like, what does that other teen, what does the young black man in some other state, like I could put on a hoodie and go outside tonight in my town and I won't have any fear. I don't, you know, just, it wouldn't cross my mind. Um, but it's, it's astounding. It's like, good God, like how, how anxious, depressed, scared, frightened, afraid to grow up, you know, a litany of things are the children uh, in this country. Do it all. Afraid to grow up. I'm going to write, that's the name of, that's the title of, the title of my next book, <laughs> Afraid to Grow Up. And you know why I said that? Because ACEs, what I talked about earlier on, one of the long-term effects is early death. If in your mind, you are afraid to walk down the street. Now I have three sons and my middle son will wear his hoodie. I don't care what. And I used to, I, I was really afraid when Trivia Martin happened. I was like, son, please, you have to wear a hoodie. Say, mom, I'm going to wear my hoodie. And then he puts his earphone on. And all day I have my porch light on and I'm sitting on the door and I'm just waiting for him to come back because he went to walk the dog. You know what I mean? Like, it is such an easy thing for someone to just like, Assume, you know, that when he leaves my door, he's suddenly a threat to, to the next guy because he, he is who he is. But in my home, he's my baby. I love him to pieces. But when he walks outside my door, he's a threat all of a sudden. He plays jazz trumpet. He is the most sweetest boy in the world. But, but the next guy will not give him a chance to be that boy. They just got him down because... He is a black male. Like, how do you reconcile that? And, and, not, and I won't cry. Why would I be mad? Why would I be upset? Why would I be an angry black woman? Why not? You know, he, thankfully, my, my kids, I raised them to, to be feminists, as a matter of fact. They're very proactive and they're stronger than me. They're like, mom, we're going to go for it. And I'm like, okay, okay. But even they don't understand my pain. Even they don't see it because I am, I am Trevion Martin's mother. I am all the boys who were killed mother. And they are all those boys because it could be them anytime. You know, it's like, what is this kind of world? And then you tell us not to be, not to be angry and not to be sad and upset and allow us to just lick our wounds. Even your little dog, when he, when he has a hurt, he licks his wound. We're not even allowed to lick our wounds because, oh no, you know, you're black. You should be like, It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's the world that we live in. So, so how, how do you reconcile that? I don't know. It's unreconcilable. By talking about it, by crying about it, by begging people to please just hear me, leave our boys alone. That's somebody's child. I promise you, my baby is 5'10". He's only 15. He just turned 15 on October 1st. He has his hair in little spikes, gold. He's a great kid. He's my co-author of my book because he let me put his picture on the front. He set up my, all my, he set up my website for me. He set up everything, my Facebook Live every Sunday. He's a great kid. But when he walks out the door, he's a black boy. You see, the, you see the difference? And I tell him, I said, I'm not a black doctor. I'm a good doctor. I'm not a gay doctor. I'm a good doctor. I'm not a female doctor. I'm a good doctor. I'm not the Nigerian doctor. I am a good doctor. I'm good, regardless of my accent and the skin color that I can't change, even if I tried. And many people have hurt themselves trying to scrub the skin trying to straighten their hair and they get burns and they get scars and their hair falls out because well, you can't go to work because your hair is nappy. My hair is naturally nappy. You know, they ask me, are you going natural? How do you go natural? I was born natural. You know what I mean? Like who says your hair is better than mine? Like something as simple as hair, skin color, 
Somebody told my son when he was 12, my oldest son, who, by the way, is a senior at Stanford on scholarship and not for basketball. He plays classical piano. Someone called him, said, when, when, when God was making you, he left you in the oven for too long and you got burned. Somebody said that to my child about his skin color. Somebody's child, another 12-year-old. The question is, what goes on in that 12-year-old's mind? But more importantly, around them. If you are indeed a product of your environment, what is going on in his home that he has this kind of verbiage in his head? And then he says it out without fear to another person. The, the level is so deep, so many levels. I don't know what to say, you know? And so I'll talk about it. And feel about it. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah, and that's good. So, are, are, and then maybe they hide it from you, but are your, are your kids consciously having the fear and worry that you do as a mom? Or do they feel just invincible whenever they No, my out? boys are very, very, um, very independent, very yeah. invincible. Yeah. I'll give you a simple example. My baby, and I don't have, I usually have their pictures around, but <laughs> um, my baby has those little spikes in his hair. And when he was going back to school, first freshman in high school, you know, just turned 15 October 1st. So he's usually the old, one of the oldest because the school year starts and then he turns 15. And he was, and I was like, son, you know, over the summer, I said, son, you know, stop doing that dreadlock thing because they're going to cut your hair. And then and he was like, no, they're not. I was like, they're going to. And then, of course, I said that because I and most of America watched the, the wrestler, the black boy wrestler, have his hair cut on national TV, his dreadlocks cut off on national TV to everybody's chagrin and shock and horror. But it happened in 2019. And I didn't want my son to go through the humiliation or the pain or whatever. So while I was feeling it for him, he was like, mom, I'm gonna go to school with my hair. And then we bet $50. Well, guess who gave up their $50? Me, because he went to school, he didn't have his hair cut, but he was, the point is he was mad enough, brave enough to say, no, I'm gonna go with my hair. And that's the kid I'm raising. No matter how afraid I am, they're not maybe not seeing it. I don't show the fear too much, I'm pretty, stern I mean I was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force so I'm pretty stern but I still have a heart and I still hurt but it doesn't really come into the raising of the kids you know what I mean like yeah some of the things coming like come home son make sure you come home I say that because I, I I need to but I'm not raising them to be fearful or raising them to you know whatever whatever no one son is all the way in California you know the other one is all the way in Lubbock which is seven and a half, eight hours drive from San Antonio where I live. And then the baby, of course, is home. But the point I'm making is I've not been afraid to let them travel when we split up with their dad and made sure I fill their heads with books and ideas and, you know, travel. We traveled a lot. I let them do stuff that would expose them to the world so they are not walking around fearful. Yeah. Now, that is relatively a unicorn because most African-American moms that were born and bred here may not have that mindset. But I also came a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, and I have a different platform and I'm a different person, period. I'm a real African. I'm not an African-American per right. se. I call myself a Nigerian-American. But I, am, I have different background, different upbringing. My dad was a two-star general in Nigeria. So I have a totally different upbringing than people who were born and bred here. So, but not all of them feel that way, but enough of them feel that way. But we should not be feeling that way. That's the point. We should not all be feeling that way at all. Growing up in Nigeria, was suicide at all common? Was it talked about? Was it seen? Or is it very, or was it very just, what, what was, was there suicides in Nigeria? Because I, I assume there, it's worldwide. Every country deals with this, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, but that's actually a very good question. When I was growing up, no. I don't think I've ever, ever heard about suicide when I was growing up. And I kid you not. I went to med school. I graduated from med school at 22. I do not remember ever. Did we discuss suicide in med school? Yeah. I mean, we talked about it like any other topic. But however, um, in May of 2019, by May 20th, we had had like 18 suicides. 
And those are the ones that were reported. And like you said earlier on, majority of these things are not reported. Yeah. So if 18 are reported, it's more like, I don't know, 40, you know? So today's Nigeria is a different Nigeria. The, 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 the worst kind of governance, the worst kind of corruption, the worst kind of poverty, the worst kind of everything ism is there. And so now people are just going around, just lost, just helpless, hopeless, despair, no jobs, you know, and now we have like a suicide crisis in Nigeria. However, the reason I said that's a great question is because in my research, I found out that the average African-American age for suicide is, well, at least the, the, the group that has suicide as number two is age 10 to, to 34. In Nigeria, is age, come on, 19 to like whatever, you know? So the younger Nigerians are not suiciding yet. So we can still say that the young are still relatively protected from, you know, the ills. But as they go to college, most times they start in college. Most of the youngest kids are usually college age. And then, of course, adults, and it goes from there. We don't have enough studies, but you know what? I might even do the study. Who knows? But indeed, the youngest age that I know that's been reported was about 18 or 19. So they're older. They're in college. And we go to college in Nigeria um, about 16 or 17. I went to college at 16. So we go to college a lot younger because we have a different educational system. We don't, you know, it's a completely different system. So we graduate usually younger from high school and therefore go to college earlier. And it's not because they're young. It's mainly because they're, they're, just, they're just broke. They have no money. They, you know, they might be sick, you know, the usual stuff that, you know, other risk factors, but mainly the governance, just this poor governance. There's, there's kidnapping and just all kinds of things. And then there's no rules like no gun control. They don't really use guns. They mostly use this poison called sniper, which is a rat poison. But you can buy sniper at the next drugstore. Like mm. anywhere you go, you can buy it. So there's no control of anything. And then there's a lot of drug abuse now. This cough medicine, which no one uses in America anymore. Guess what? They ship them over to the third world countries. I mean, this world is such a... I don't know if there's a God. I don't know what he's... He's just shaking his head like, what have you guys done? Like... Mm. It's terrible. They ship the, 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 it's banned in every country, but they ship it to the third world country. Codeine in the cough medicine. So now everybody just, you just go to the store and just get it. And then they're all hooked. They're all drug, you know. And so, you know, one of the high risk factors for suicide is substance abuse, you know. So when they can't get it, you know, the rest is history. And we don't have hospitals. We don't have anywhere to put them in for like rehab, you know, that doesn't even exist. So you can see easily why it's a vicious cycle that is just like, and, you know. Yeah. And again, and especially in a lot of the examples you're talking about, like, it, yeah, it's due to circumstances. It's not necessarily a mental illness. It's not some chemical disorder. It's everything in my life sucks and I yes. have nothing I can do about it. And I love it. yeah. Yeah, but at least you know. And again, I can't. I've I've been to Africa twice. I've where never did, made it to where did you go? Yeah, I've been to Uganda, Tanzania, Rwanda. So you went and, to and Kenya. East Africa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny because just yesterday I was I'm researching for my second book, and I'm I'm writing about an East African teen, and I can't decide which country he or she is from. Well, I I, I narrowed it down to a girl, and I picked the name. But um, the name is from Zimbabwe because I dated this guy. I was from Zimbabwe. <laughs> it's like crazy. But then, you know, I can't decide where they're going to come from. So I've been, look, I've been reading about all of those countries that you named, yeah. all, every last yeah. one of them. One, one thing that really surprised me was how much joy was in all the children's faces. Like it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't see depressed kids. You know, just like, oh, we don't have anything. I'm just sitting in a puddle of mud. I was like, no, whoa, I'm in a puddle of mud. This is great, you know? And, and we're, like, having mud, we're having mud cookies and mud Yeah, Yeah. Like, we, were, we were there. We were going on safari and, and seeing all the animals and take pictures. But I tell you, by the time I was home, like, my favorite thing was driving through the little villages and just waving and seeing, having kids wave. And, like, like um, our guide, he could tell we, we weren't just, I wouldn't just say it. We weren't 
moronic, bad traveling Americans. <laughs> so he took us to his tribe. He took us to his village where everybody under seven years old, we, I was the first white man they'd ever seen. Wow. Like, no one goes. And so there was like, I had just crowds touching me. It was like, what? It was such Look a- Look at you making history. Thing. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. it. So it was a big deal. But, uh, but again, I just was marveled at how much joy I witnessed and experienced in the third world. And I have to say that that part is true. That part is true even to, to this date. And I know, you know, if you look up happiest people on earth, you will see Nigerians. Mm-hmm. Um, most crooked people on earth, you will see Nigerians. I mean, most travel people, you see Nigerians. Most educated people, you see Nigerians. Those four. But we, it, is a, it is a country that if it had been governed better, will beat the Netherlands, the Netherlands or Switzerland in, in advancements because we're really smart people, we're really good people. But then we've been ruled generations of rulers that just come and just take money. But at least the kids, you know, the parents, one thing they do is they shield, we try to shield our kids from, yeah. from those things. Like right now, I can't shield my kids anymore. That my baby son, he's the one that sends me on Instagram anything he sees about a teenager suicide, he, he sends it to me. I can't shield him anymore. But all, unfortunately, he also is living in this world where really I don't, he doesn't need to be shielded. He needs to get the naked truth so he can be ready for it. You know? And I mentioned that as one of the, 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 the character traits in my book. And I never have my book when I'm talking about it. <laughs> I never have it. But um, one, one of the character traits in my book is, is teaching the kids resilience. I mean, you still have to try to put resilience in your kids. I mean, they still have to try to learn that it's okay to, to bounce back and, and keep coming back. And I have to give it to the African-Americans. They are one group of resilient people. You may not look it, but they are. Um, my wife was watching something about um, Lisa Ling, This Is Life or whatever on CNN. Mm-hmm. And in one particular jail in, in Los Angeles where they said every night they bring hundreds of people, majority of them black, every night. Mm. It's not good. It's not good at all. In, in your experience, in your perspective, just looking around right now, are, are, are things getting better or worse? Hmm. I think even if there was a chance that things would get better, they won't let us. I mean, you know, I'm just going to come out and say, look at the White House. Look at what we have as our example, as our first man. When the head is corrupt, the body is corrupt. I mean, let's come out and say it. You know, when the head is corrupt, the body is corrupt. So, no, things are not getting better. We are more aware of them. And I just heard, and it's not an American thing, by the way, because I just put something on my page, I think it was two days ago. Because today, by the way, is the International Day of the Girl Child. So two days ago, I had this thing that was, someone tagged me on it that in Iran, they had just now abolished a rule that allowed a father to marry his daughter. I was like, what the fuck? And it turns out to be, oh, not the biologic daughter, the adopted daughter. Oh, is that, does that make it better? Like, I raise you up as my daughter, then I marry you as a woman. Like, what is going on? So it's so many, each country has its own ills. Like, I don't know which one to cry for, you know, but... (laughs) I don't think things are better. I think things are worse, but we are smarter. So we know better. We're just not doing better. We're just yeah. not doing better. I mean, yeah, that's, I that's it. So things could be better. They're just not. And that's because we choose not to. We choose not to. Yeah, I got to think awareness changes that. It's not like, you know, I feel like we're the pendulum swinging one way and another way. We're, yeah, I don't know. I, I got to believe... Uh, it's going to get better. It's not now, but I think it's where we're so much in the thick of the shit and the muck that we can only get better, right? Like it can't keep getting worse, you know? Yeah, and then if you but, consider the fact that shit literally is manure, then right, yeah. Something good will grow out of this. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can grow weed in my <laughs> garden right now. My garden is full of weed or we can grow the nice straight tall, you know, stock of corn and that's going to yield many, many, you know, and or the corn will come and have to fight with all the weeds to, 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 to grow. But yeah. yeah, we have a lot of manure right now. The hatred is the manure. I mean, if someone lives, leaves his house and drives eight hours away to go shoot people, that is not mental illness, my brother. Yeah. That is hatred. 
And let's not ever confuse that because someone who has mental illness, really, truly, they just want to feel better. They just, they don't want to be depressed. They, they want to be normal, if that's the word. They don't want to be tagged as, oh yeah, you're mentally ill. Oh, you, you might go shoot up. No, you're not thinking yeah. that because you're sick. It's like saying because you're diabetic that you're going to go shoot up people. No, you just want your sugar levels to be better. You're like, no, it's an illness. It's sickness. It's always hatred, by the way, but it's a different kind of sickness. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> so what if, uh, if someone listening to this, you know, in this moment there, someone is feeling suicidal, what, what would, what's, your, what's your best advice? What would you say, suggest someone do if they're feeling suicidal? Right this moment, call 1-800-SUICIDE. Right this moment, call 1-800-SUICIDE or text HELP or Stephen, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure who is Stephen, but just test, text any word to 741741. That's a national crisis text line. And I'm sure there are others. You could call your mom. It's okay. You could call your wife like I did. I called my wife. And I was like, dude, I want out. And she was like, no, you're not. And so call the right person. But I say, right this moment, reach out. Just know that, just put the gun down, put the belt down, put the jump rope down, put whatever you're using down. Just take a deep breath and just think, is this really it? Like, what if there's better out there? And if, if you can see one shred of better, please, which I know you will, because you've got people that love you, you've got people that care about you. Apparently one suicide affects 3,000 people. So, yes. One. Did you know that, Andy? No, I'd never heard that number, no. Well, you know why? Why? The last time there was a suicide here in San Antonio, I heard about it. I don't know the girl. I don't know her mother. I don't know anything about her. Someone tagged me, and I told my son, who told his friend Joe. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. yeah. Or if my neighbor's kid, for instance. The whole neighborhood will hear about it. Then the neighborhood after that. And then the school kids will hear about it. Then the co-workers will hear about it. So I don't even know if 3,000 is enough. But I don't know where the number came from. Mm. So I say, please, just take a deep breath and just know that you are loved. Call me, 1-802-768-1180. It's my cell phone. I'll literally pick up the phone. And I'll tell Andy to hold on and I'll talk to you. I mean, literally... There's people out there who love you, who want to be there for you. You may not believe it, but there are. And I don't know what it is that you're suffering from or what you're going through, but I know that there's always tomorrow. And we have to believe, like Andy said, that it will get better. And look at Andy. He's a shining example that it does get better. You, you become best-selling authors, podcasters, speakers. People want to hear you tell your story. Yeah, yeah. I- the bravest thing any of us can do at some point is reach out is, is to say, I need help and to put that hand up and yeah. And you, you can do it. Everyone can do it. It's, it's within us, right? If, if anyone was meant to be dead, they'd be dead. It's, it's, it's that simple. Right. And if you're struggling with, Oh, I think I want to die. You know, that, that struggle is life fighting back. Say no, no, you don't want this. Right. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. I love that. I never heard anybody put it that way before. The struggle is life fighting. And I guess one, one way to look at it is to tell the person who is suicidal at this time, if you're even listening to us, that is a sign right there that you're not ready. And that's good. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah. If you're, if, if you're down, dejected, whatever, and you're still listening to us, then yeah, the, what you want to do is listen to us. You, you want to have communication. You want to reach out. You want to share your experience. That, that's what that proves. Right? And just call Andy. And I love his, the name of his podcast called The Real Man Feel. Are you kidding me? Call him and be on the podcast and then tell your story. And cry if you have to cry. He's a really good listener. And, and what, what's your um, best advice, top of mind advice for someone, friend or family member of someone who's feeling suicidal? How can, how can they best support them? I think the best thing you can say is I'm here for you. And saying it is one thing. Getting help is another. And I tell people all the time that empathy is good. It's great. But compassion is his big brother. Empathy means I feel your pain. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Compassion is I feel your pain. I'm so sorry you're going through this. How can I help? So compassion throws in that not only how can I help, you know what? 
I'm calling Dr. Lulu right now, and we're going to make an appointment right now, and we're going to go, we are going to go together to see the doctor and, and, or whoever, you know. So I would say just reach out to them. And, you know, don't be like me with my friend and keep thinking about, oh, I need to, I need to. Just do it. Reach out to them and say, you know what? I was thinking about you. Are you okay? No, are you really okay? They were like, how much time do you have? I said, I have all day, you know? And then just say, you know what? I'm coming over and we're going to go and we're going to do whatever. And that's what she did. She basically called the rest of the week off and we went to wherever she wanted to go to Austin, went out to, to look at the koi fish and whatever, just things that I like to do. And I just, I just got a, a moment to like talk about it and, and, and then I barely, but I started, you know, turning, turning the corner and just realizing that, okay, all right. So I filed bankruptcy. Okay. So it's not the end of the world. Okay. All right. So, you know what I mean? Like just started taking them one at a time and I realized it's not really the end of the world. Like there's, there's more to it. There's more yeah. to it. Yeah. Cool. So, so what's the best way that people can get in touch with Dr. Lulu and find out all the, the great things that you're doing? So if you, if you type the words, ask Dr. L, my name literally comes out on Facebook. So I'm ask Dr. Lulu is my official page, but otherwise my first name is Uchen and my last name is Ume. But Ask Dr. Lulu is, my, is the platform on which I do my Sunday Facebook Lives. And I always discuss every weekend something to do with, you know, teenagers and children or the world sometimes. Um, last weekend, we talked about ACEs, which is just a big deal for me right now. The weekend before last, we talked about World Mental Health Day. Just, I had about eight women. We talked about just mental health matters. It was Africa's Mental Health Matters. That was the topic. And then before that, school shootings. Before that, bullying. Before that, you know, we're just different topics. Some people send me, you know, date, they want to talk about date val- dating violence. I talked about that. Anything that affects teenagers, I'm going to talk about it. Um, I have an online, well, I have a Facebook group called Dr. Lulu's Parenting Your Teen group. And I have parents in there, parents of teenagers in there. I go in there and we talk about, you know, this kind of things, struggles that I have. I have a blog called Words by Black Butterfly, which has different things in it. I don't only talk about depression. I talk about the fact that I'm a Uber driver. I talk about that on there. I talk about the fact that I write poetry, usually dark. But poetry, nonetheless, I, um, I talk about um, just being a doctor and just how that goes. Um, I have a part there that's about family and friends that I have like romantic poems to my wife. So I, I have multifaceted in my blog. So you're not going to go there. Let me go see this. No, you're not going to find one thing. You're going to find many things, which is good because there are many, many pieces and parts of me. And then I have my podcast, which is like my newborn baby, which I'm really, really proud of. And it's called Suicide Pages. You should subscribe and listen. And maybe you want to be a guest, holla. And I think the last thing is my practice. It's called Dr. Lulu's Youth Health Center. It is in San Antonio, Texas, but I do do tele- telemedicine. I have a patient out of Dallas-Fort Worth. So I don't have to see them. I just, you know, we're on the phone just like this, and I can talk to them how they're doing and give them medicine, and they're good to go. Cool, so. cool. Awesome. So that's a lot to keep track of. We'll have links at realmanfield.org on the blog. We'll, uh, well, I will track down every bit of uh, Dr. Lulu that is online and make it easy for you to connect with her, uh, follow her. Um, I want to thank you for everything you're doing, uh, everything you've shared in this time with us. But, but yeah, more importantly, everything you're doing, everything you're still going to do. Um, I, 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 lo- I love you. I've, this is the second time in our life we've talked, I think. Um, but I, I love your energy. I love your attitude. It's uh, it's all good. Yeah, I know we're all a little bit crazy, but I'm just, I've just twisted my crazy into, you know, <laughs> gotta talk about it. So, um, but it's also good to be crazy. I think it's okay. I don't know why the word crazy should be negative. So it's just fine. It's just fine. Thank you for the platform. I have to thank you. I love the topic that you talk about. I love it. As a mother of three boys with three brothers and a father, I absolutely love. I have never. I've been on like maybe 30 podcast interviews. I've never told one that I love what you're doing. As a mother of three black boys, I thank you. And I was very, 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 very happy when I scrolled through your guests and I was like, there's one, there's one, there's another one. It's important that they get 
they have a platform to talk because the society won't let them. So you are letting them do that. And for that, I say muchísimas gracias. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Wherever you're listening to Real Men Feel, subscribe, like, share, tell someone else to check us out, make a su- uh, suggest about a guest, a uh, topic you want to hear about, visit realmenfeel.org, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all over the world. Uh, give us feedback. I love email. I'm, I'm the like, last person in the world that's not sick of getting too much email. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. And, of course, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.